a lot of screaming and shouting and about 40 police cars everywhere. Tonight on Global News Hour, a targeted gang shooting in South Vancouver. More on the mayhem outside a packed banquet hall early this morning. Plus. The days are long, like 14, 16 hour days. Back from the front lines, the realities of fighting BC's northern wildfires. And then. Today was really great because it, it blends all, all of us together. Years in the making, a new monument pays tribute to the sacrifices of Indigenous veterans in the Nicola Valley. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. What was supposed to be a celebratory evening marking a wedding in South Vancouver this weekend ended in horror early this morning. Gunshots were fired outside a banquet hall, leaving one man dead and adding more fuel to BC's ongoing gang conflict. Kamal Karamali has more in tonight's top story. A police tent covers a body after a targeted shooting in south of Vancouver early Sunday morning. Police markers show where bullet casings littered the ground surrounding this Lexus SUV after a gunfire erupted along Fraser Street near Southeast Marine Drive around 1.30 a.m. Vancouver police say the shooting is related to the ongoing gang conflict. Officers who happen to be patrolling the area arrived to provide CPR. But the victim, a 28-year-old man, died on scene, right outside of what was a packed Fraser View banquet hall. It's a lot of people standing around there, a lot of screaming and shouting. I guess the people were, you know, crying and stuff like that. Staff at the banquet hall who did not want to go on camera confirmed to Global News a wedding was taking place here Saturday night with dozens of attendees still inside when the shooting took place. I, actually, really, I'm shocked. Muralitharan Ramasamy works at the restaurant next door to the hall. He says he closed up and left at around 11 p.m. while the Indian wedding next door was still in full swing. Police now focusing part of their investigation around this black pickup truck. It's a party, yeah. It's always in there, some music is there. But when I went 11 o'clock, I felt it's normal. It's not, it was a normal day. It was a normal day, normal party. The restaurant's manager said parties happen nightly at the banquet hall next door, but they rarely turn violent. It is pretty scary, you know, because, you know, um, we are um, basically a family-run uh, business and family-oriented uh, restaurant, so people will be, you know, um, will be scared. Staff were seen cleaning up inside Sunday morning. Global News spoke to someone who says he's the owner, surprised of the deadly incident that took place after an event inside his establishment, worried about his business. We pray, pray and hope that it doesn't happen in, to anybody. You know. While many others are worried violence will continue in the neighborhood. Kamal Karamali, Global News. Vancouver police are also investigating another homicide this weekend. The fatal stabbing happened late Saturday night in the West End. The VPD says officers were called to Davie and Butte streets just before 10 o'clock for reports a man had been stabbed. The victim was taken to hospital but did not survive. Police say he has not been identified. The investigation is ongoing and no arrests have been made. Police are asking anyone with information to contact the homicide unit. Another former Atira employee is weighing in on alleged working conditions at the supportive housing provider. Even though she no longer works there, she says much more needs to be done to provide a safe working environment for employees. Grace Key reports. The joke began with a conversation we were having about depression and suicide. 
And he said to me, if you ever need help killing yourself, let me know. I'll slit your throat. A former worker with the Terra Property Management doesn't want to be identified because she fears retribution, but she wants to describe a toxic work environment. She said her co-worker made the comment back in 2014 while they both worked at the front desk of an SRO in the downtown east side. She complained to management. I said I'm uncomfortable with this, that he's making these jokes, you know, about slitting my throat. And what happened? Nothing. He said, I'll talk to him. The former worker said the comments continued another five or six times and got to a breaking point when her co-worker came to work with a knife on his belt. And I said, what are you doing? Take the knife off. You shouldn't be wearing a knife here. You're just giving people the message that you're ready to go to violent places. Later that day, she thought she was having a stroke after finding blood-stained clothes and drugs in the woman's restroom. It turned out she was having a panic attack, but she says no one called for help. I think that bullying has become normalized. That's the big message, and that it's not just guests or, or tenants who bully each other. It's staff who bully tenants, staff who bully other staff. Working for an organization that's so unsupportive. It's a similar story we heard a week ago from Senia Collinge, an Atira peer manager currently on leave. She filed an HR complaint and Workers' Compensation Board report alleging an employee would routinely bring a knife to work and display aggressive behavior at the office. He's just white-knuckling it and, and until it finally you just you can't do it. It's just not worth your mental health. Uh, it was straining my relationship. I'm actually uh, scared to be walking around they did nothing to support me. Absolutely nothing. As for the former employee, she made a WorkSafe BC claim for the incident surrounding that day and received a disability award. She never returned to Atira and says she still suffers from PTSD. Atira has yet to respond to our request for a comment. Grace Key, Global News. Amid these allegations from current and former employees of unsafe working conditions, harassment and a fear of repercussion for speaking out, members of the Atira Women's Resource Society are now trying to organize into a union. The BC General Employees Union filed the application with the BC Labour Relations Board on behalf of the Women's Centre last week and a hearing on the matter is set to begin tomorrow. Atira was thrust into the spotlight earlier this month after a scathing forensic audit found mismanagement and conflict of interest violations. The BCGEU says they've been trying to unionize for about the last year. Historically, Atira Women's Resources has attempted unionization efforts before and often been met with anti-union campaigns from management. Uh, you know, this time workers uh, built relationships across over 35 sites and are uh, we're successful in getting a strong majority of workers to sign cards and uh, have a collective voice to improve their workplace. If approved, about 500 Atira workers would join the union. Members of Atira Property Management are already members of the BCGEU. It's not known how long the application process could take. A repeat offender will appear in court Monday after he was arrested and charged with break and enter just hours after his release from custody on other charges. 
46-year-old Justin Wayne Collins was arrested Wednesday evening following a break-in at a clothing store in the 1200 block of Canary Lane in Kelowna. Before police arrived, RCMP say employees recognized the suspect from the live camera feed and were able to track him down nearby and recover some of the stolen goods. RCMP say Collins had been released by the court system hours earlier on theft and mischief charges. Last summer, Collins was the subject of a public warning by Kelowna RCMP, who said his continual reoffending puts the community at risk. Collins's criminal resume includes more than 420 police files and 64 charges. A Ladysmith man has been sentenced to six years in prison and a 10-year driving ban in a hit and run that killed a mother of two three years ago. 40-year-old Stephen Knowles pleaded guilty to dangerous driving causing death and failing to remain at the scene of an accident in the August 2020 collision. He received four years on the driving charge and two years for failing to stop and help. 35-year-old Katie Blog was killed when the driver of an F-150 crossed the center median on the Trans-Canada Highway north of Ladysmith and collided with a northbound SUV. The suspect fled the scene in a stolen vehicle. Knowles was arrested after a five-day manhunt. With credit for time already spent in custody, he will serve a sentence of five years and five months. Surrey RCMP are asking for your help to find a missing 15-year-old boy. Dante Baker was last seen on Thursday at 9 a.m. near 115th Avenue and 141A Street. He's described as 5 foot 1 inch tall, 230 pounds with black hair and brown eyes. Baker was last seen wearing a black sweater with black sweatpants and black Nike Air Force runners. Anyone with information on his whereabouts is asked to call police. Today marks 12 years since the mysterious disappearance of Vanderhoof woman Madison Scott. RCMP making another appeal for anyone with information to come forward on this somber anniversary. Police say the last time Scott was seen was on May 28, 2011, attending a party at Hogs Lake, about 25 kilometers south of Vanderhoof. Two days later, her parents found her tent and her Ford pickup truck at the campsite, her purse left inside the truck. This year, she would be 32 years old. The Scott family continues to offer a $100,000 reward for information leading to the arrest and charges laid against those responsible for her disappearance. There are new evacuation orders and alerts in the Peace Region and Northeast BC relating to separate wildfires. The Peace River Regional District issued new evacuation orders and alerts related to the Donnie Creek and Tommy Lakes wildfires. The Donnie Creek fire is estimated at more than 135,000 hectares as of last night and there are several oil and gas industry camps close by. Meantime, the Klua Lakes area previously under alert has now been elevated to an order in the Northern Rockies Regional Municipality. That's due to changes in weather conditions. An Okanagan firefighter who spent the last two weeks helping crews in northern BC battle wildfires in the region is now back at home. As Victoria Famia reports, he was part of a task force that meant long days and tough conditions working to protect homes from the flames. We are deployed uh, from Kelowna, so we drove a similar truck like this bush truck up to Fort St. John. Kelowna firefighter Scott Graff has returned home following 12 days of defending structures against a number of fires in and around Fort St. John. The days are long, like 14, 16 hour days sometimes, 
uh, and day in, like you don't get a day off, so you're busy every day for uh, the two weeks that you're deployed or whatever. In our case, it was 12 days. So yeah, it gets a little long, so then you start to miss home a little bit. Graf and his team were part of a structural protection task force, keeping properties and homes safe from both the Red Creek and Stoddart Creek wildfires. They were also tasked with evacuating properties when orders were issued. So we are responsible for checking setting up and checking sprinkler systems on homes and properties. And so a lot of our work is just kind of uh, in case the, the fire uh, comes into those properties. At the start of the 12-day period in Fort St. John, Graf says conditions were favorable with the Red Creek fire, but it didn't take long for things to change. But when the second Stoddard fire broke out, uh, we were right there when it first broke out. So we actually pulled the truck in and into the initial attack area and, and sprayed some water on that. And then um, from there, it took off rapidly for the next couple days. The fire danger rating in the Kamloops Fire Center is low, but according to BC Wildfire Service, how long that will last is all dependent on how much rain comes down over the next few days. We are kind of getting those more warmer temperatures, um, so it will just be dependent on what we see throughout the weekend and going into next week, and if we happen to receive any precipitation. Things are dry. Everyone knows that, so uh, people got to be diligent out there and be careful. Lighting fires, campfires, uh, cigarette butts, all those things. Right now, there are 67 active wildfires burning across the province, with 13 burning out of control. Victoria Famia, Global News. Burnaby RCMP caught nine speeding drivers in the span of just two and a half hours today. Mounties say the fastest culprit was caught going 121 kilometers an hour in a 50 zone. They add that 20 drivers were going between 30 and 40 kilometers over the speed limit. Burnaby RCMP are warning all drivers to slow down, adding that speeding is the leading cause of car crash deaths in B.C. A heads up for overnight commuters, a portion of Highway 99 will be closed in order to move some heavy machinery. Starting at 11 o'clock tonight, Highway 99 will be closed at the Steveston Interchange to allow crews to safely relocate equipment for the new five-lane interchange. During the closure, vehicles will be rerouted onto existing off-ramps. Work is expected to wrap up by 5 o'clock tomorrow morning. Counting down to the Alberta election coming up on the news hour. Yep, that's right. We've got some uh, polling taking place. What's ahead of the Alberta election? And more pressure how many businesses are bracing for the next minimum wage hike when we come back. Good evening from Global One, high above the Portman Bridge, looking beautiful in the sunshine and no problems across the bridge deck. However, in Surrey a little later on, the 104-160th Street interchange, as well as Highway 17 slash Highway 15 interchange, going to get some fresh blacktop. There'll be some closures through there. Highway 15 from Golden Ears Way through to 96, the southbound Les Lane as well, getting some fresh blacktop. Help please keep BC roads safe by following the speed limit and being a responsible driver, because safer roads start with you. In Global One, I'm Brad Russell.
Alberta election campaign is in its final few hours with voters heading to the polls tomorrow. The race is tight between the United Conservative Party and the NDP, and it's a last-ditch effort by both parties to sway crucial votes that will make the difference in who forms the province's next government. Adam McVicker reports. Hi. Hi, it's Najwan with Alberta NDP. How are Hi. you? How are you doing? Good. Good to meet you. The final you. push. Candidates canvassing communities, ringing out every last bit of support they can get. Every vote counts, and you go right up to the 11th hour trying to get those votes. And in Battleground Calgary, the focus is on several key ridings south of Glenmore Trail. Support appears split between the UCP and NDP. I'm not a fan of either party, but right now... It's a lesser of two evils. I, I think I'm going with Chandra. I like the direction that the NDP is going compared to um, our current government. NDP! NDP! As for the leaders, the tour across the province continues. NDP leader Rachel Notley holding whistle-stop rallies in Red Deer and Edmonton. We are approaching the finish line of one of the... A different kind of race for UCP leader Danielle Smith with a very literal finish line approach, participating in the 5K run at the Calgary Marathon on Sunday. No public events for Smith this weekend, just stops across different ridings to rally support, a potential strategy according to one political scientist. This election would not be close if you had another conservative leader. Um, Danielle Smith... Uh, has made it close. Prime Minister Stephen Harper also on the trail, endorsing several Calgary UCP candidates ahead of Election Day. In Calgary, Acadia, get, get out to the polls on Monday and please re-elect Tyler Shanner. More than 750,000 Albertans have already cast a ballot in advance voting. Whether the last-minute efforts to sway undecided support pays off will come to light on Monday, with all expectations that it will be a close result. Adam McVicker, Global News. And to find out the election results, tune in to Decision Alberta coverage tomorrow night on BC One starting at 7 p.m. Pacific. BC's lowest paid workers will soon be getting a raise. Minimum wage is set to increase by more than a dollar on Thursday. But the change means prices could go up too as restaurants try to offset additional costs. Jasmine King reports. It's a tough move on top of all the other things that we're dealing with right now in our industry. Minimum wage is set to rise once again in British Columbia, making it the second highest wage in the country. Our two major costs in are labor and food. And our labor costs are about to go up by almost 7% uh, as of June 1st. Over the last six years, wages have gone up by over $4. And by the end of the week, it will go from $15.65 an hour to $16.75. This following the government's commitment last year to tie minimum wage to inflation. In Kelowna, businesses have already been bracing for the minimum wage hike. However, they don't believe the increase will do much for workers. When you hear politicians say, well, this is going to help, you know, the, the poor, uh, you know, give them a, a little hand up. Actually, it's not going to do anything because at the end of the day, everything is going to go up in price. The BC Restaurant and Food Services Association says this could put restaurants in a tough position. You have two choices. You, you know, first of all, you've got to try to make some profit. And a lot of restaurants, as I just said, are not. And so if you put your prices up, that's a risk. And if you start letting your um, reducing your labor expense, then you run the risk of not providing great service. So there's a real balance between that. 
One business owner says the wage increase will offset some inflation-related costs for now, but hopes the government will explore other options. My employees can't find places to stay, and uh, it's, it's really challenging. A different way as opposed to just increasing the minimum wage because, um, you know, when it comes to votes, you know, it's kind of a nice catchphrase, hey, we just increased the minimum wage, but in actual reality, it really doesn't do anything. The government says the wage increase on Thursday will affect nearly 150,000 workers in the province. Jasmine King, Global News, Kelowna. Still to come on Global News Hour, paying tribute to Indigenous veterans. We'll show you a new monument in Merritt that's honoring those whose service was minimally recognized in the past. Plus, a wildfire in Nova Scotia as residents in two subdivisions are ordered to evacuate. More in the way when we come back. Good evening from Global One. We are above the Patello Bridge this evening and no problems across the ridge deck. I wanted to mention the construction for tomorrow morning, especially on Columbia, uh, is closed from 4th to McBride. Eastbound completely closed. Westbound one lane is getting through um, otherwise. And that's for the new uh, Patello Bridge replacement project to be that way for a little while before they get that cleared. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert care for your vehicle provides expert care for kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and autoglass services. Choose the best. About the Patella Bridge in Global One, I'm Brad Russell. An emotional day in Merritt as the Nicola Valley First Nations veterans held a ceremony to unveil a new monument dedicated to honoring the sacrifices of local First Nations and Métis veterans. Kristen Robinson reports. In a somber ceremony west of Merritt, the Nicola Valley First Nations Veterans Association unveils a new monument to honour Indigenous veterans and RCMP members. We get to recognise those that uh, made the sacrifices uh, and uh, that maybe generally wouldn't have their names in, etched in any other monuments. The names of local First Nations and Métis veterans engraved on the three-pillar monument at the Anglican Church in Chalouse, building on the boulder placed here two decades ago with plaques recognizing the Indigenous members who served. As an Indigenous female, there's other people wearing and recognizing the Indigenous people and that, that hit hard, that's something that means a lot. And she's an outlier, blazing the trail, not only for women all around and First Nations women, but really blazing that trail of the possibilities. Well, I feel if we let ourselves go, that we can be who we want to be, and we don't just have to be butterflies. The butterfly on the back of the monument, created by a grade 10 student, as a powerful reflection of change. That picture just not only represents freedom, but it also represents us as, as First Nations people where we were shackled by the changes, by, by colonization, and seeing, seeing the sense of, of freedom. Coodley, Joseph. It means a lot. It means that uh, this was a, uh, a, a united contribution of citizens of Canada um, doing one of the most noblest cause that any person can do in regards for the fight of freedom and democracy. They fought for all our freedoms and uh, they, it's just important to ensure that they're recognized in the proper and uh, proper way. 
The Nicola Valley now has a permanent, poignant and present reminder of the past sacrifices made by Indigenous veterans. Kristen Robinson, Global News. On the East Coast now, crews are battling an out-of-control wildfire burning in a Halifax suburb. Police say it's engulfed multiple homes in the city's Tantalon community. Fire crews are being called in from across Halifax to fight the fast-moving blaze. An immediate evacuation order for the area is in place. It was 31 degrees in Halifax today, and after a very dry spring, plus winds gusting near 60 kilometers an hour, the flames are spreading fast. Coming up on the news hour, taking the plunge, the chilly venture into the water for a good cause when we come back. From traditional food and drinks to dancing and fun, the BC Polish Festival kicked off its 16th annual celebrations in Port Coquitlam today. The event aims to promote Polish culture, showcasing their talents and heritage. Organizers say people of Polish origin had a chance to reconnect to their roots, and it also gives people from other cultures a chance to embrace a new one. We have to stay in touch. We're uh, like uh, thousands upon thousands of kilometers away from our country, and uh, some people come here trying to get uh, start a new life, uh, but still they remember the um, the time where they used to live on a like in the place of their forefathers. And here, it doesn't matter if um, I lived on one side of the Poland uh, and you lived on the other. We are pretty much brothers. We're one big family. This year, the festival is highlighting Zakopana, a popular resort town in Poland. Yvonne Schell is here. Is it um, pierogi weather? <laughs> nice. I was going to say, it's nice when you have smell vision for those kind of stories, know, right? Like right? I could just imagine. Must have been delicious. Thank you so much, uh, Julie, and good evening, everyone. It was fantastic today. Pleasant for most areas. We got into more sunshine as the day progressed. We're currently sitting at 19 degrees. We've got a light wind out of the airport. Quick note, Ashcroft, though, was a hot spot today across the province so far, getting up to 29.5. So there are a few areas that we're still tracking the heat. Now for Metro Vancouver, the plan for back to work and school will be back into some sunshine. A few clouds in the mix for the morning hours. By the afternoon, we're closer to 18, 19, but away from the water will be closer to 22. We still do have some instability this evening, and it's really in towards the southeastern quarters of the province. Now, areas of concern will be in for the Kootenays as well as the Elk Valley. We still have a severe thunderstorm watch that is affect the potentials there, and the concern with this slow-moving system is that we could see very heavy rain, gusts winds and hail embedded within those storms. Once again, tomorrow it'll set up. Most areas in towards the Columbian Kootenai will see that risk of a thunderstorm and then it'll die down once again. Most areas across the province, though, a bit of a break in between systems. Long-range forecast. I wanted to show you the Fraser Valley. We've got a bit of dip in temperatures. By dip, we'll be right around the average for this time of the year, likely Tuesday, Wednesday. And then by Thursday and by the end of the week, we are going to see that surge in temperatures once again. It'll be dry in the coming days, but heating up as we look Look ahead towards next weekend, we'll be back into the upper 20s. Northern half of the province, a nice break between systems for tomorrow. Rain makes a return on Tuesday. The northeastern corners of the piece climbing up to 16 degrees. That instability will be for the Colombian Kootenai regions. We're looking at that risk of thunderstorms. Tops in Okanagan tomorrow with Kelowna getting up to 26. Blip in the forecast, though, across the island. We are seeing a bit more cloud cover in the morning. Chance for some drizzle inland, western and northern regions of the island. And then it should start to ease 
ease off and clear towards the afternoon. Warmer away from the water, closer to 23. It is going to be pleasant, dry in our five-day forecast so far. And then it heats up once again, Julie, as we look ahead Friday and in towards next weekend. Back to you. Thank you so much, Yvonne. Hundreds braved the cold waters this morning at Kitts Beach, taking the plunge for ovarian cancer research. A good crowd all dressed in teal, which is used to help raise awareness about the fight against ovarian cancer. More than 3,000 people are diagnosed in Canada every year. About five years ago, my daughter-in-law was diagnosed with stage three ovarian cancer, which really absolutely, oh, just unbelievable impression. It really, talk about spoiling the tranquility of the family, that was it. And so uh, time went on and uh, I just took a look into it and I saw that the five-year survival rate for women with ovarian cancer was under 40%. And when I compared that to men with prostate cancer, their five-year survival rate was 92%. All the funds raised today go toward drug and treatment development for ovarian cancer. And Kelowna joined about 200 other communities across Canada today hosting the Walk for Alzheimer's. It's the society's primary fundraising activity for the year, and it allows them to do all of the programs and services that they do for people that are suffering with dementia or, in fact, more importantly, their caregivers. The event was hosted by what is probably a familiar face for many viewers. Former Global Okanagan anchor Rick Weber. Walkers followed a route around City Park, each of them collecting pledges to raise money. Many participating were walking in honour of those impacted by the disease. There are over 85,000 people living in BC with dementia and approximately 50,000 unpaid caregivers that are supporting them. And if things project as they have been with dementia, in 2050 they predict approximately 247,000 people in BC will be living with dementia. Donations are still coming in, but as of this afternoon, the walk had raised almost $25,000. All for a good cause. Mm -hmm. Barry, what you got coming up? Well, apparently, Canadians are pretty good at hockey. Yes. Because today at the World uh, Championships in Finland, another gold medal. Yawn. No, uh, <laughs> our Canadians played, uh, played very well. Took on Germany, a surprise uh, finalist, first time they were there. But uh, Canada won, so we'll show you that. And much better day for Kamloops Blazers at the Memorial Cup in their second game. We'll show you highlights from that. And uh, BC Lions receiving core was the best in the league last year. They think that they can uh, be the best again this year. We'll have a story on that as well coming up. Awesome. Thanks, Barry. Well, still to come on Global News Hour, grounds for a successful business. They're a local favorite for coffee and cinnamon buns. So what's their recipe for ke keeping people coming back when we come back? This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. A long-standing coffee shop in Vancouver just celebrated a milestone birthday. Grounds for Coffee is now considered a staple in the community, but success was not guaranteed starting out decades ago, with the owner admitting he had to overcome a steep learning curve. Here's Jay Durant with This is BC. 
From banker to baker and an improbable success story stemming from Vancouver's coffee scene that was gaining steam in the early 90s. I thought it would be really easy to open a cafe and I was wrong, but I went for it anyway. 30 years ago, Dan Hilton left his job at RBC and opened a cafe with no previous experience. I think he was inspired by the television show Friends, you know, everybody hung out at the coffee shop. I went out and I bought a mixer, a commercial mixer, commercial oven, and a proofer. And then I headed to the library to get a recipe. So green that he mixed up salt instead of sugar in an early batch of cinnamon buns. One of my staff tried it. <laughs> she was such a good sport. But they're a huge hit now in Vancouver's Point Grey. And three decades of hosting coffee shop dates has led to many success stories of a different kind. Numerous couples coming saying, we wouldn't be married if it wasn't for Grounds for Coffee. In fact, this is where Dan first met his wife. It took about a year for me to start seeing him and we started dating. And that's when I went to baking and pastry art school and eventually started working for Grounds. For years, the shop has been supporting the charity Food Runners, making sure any surplus goes towards helping others. That's always been a part of our philosophy and it's something that we will always continue to do. A milestone anniversary this spring for the former banker who took a big chance but found good fortune building his life around beans and buns. A lot of years and a lot of history and a lot of really happy memories and a lot of really familiar faces and, and long-term friends in the community. Jay Durant, Global News. Delicious. Well, if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that people need to know about, email your ideas to thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Coming up in sports, the World Hockey Championship in Canada achieves a record victory against Germany. Highlights from Barry when we come back. Head to the Royal BC Museum to learn about Angkor, the lost empire of Cambodia. Marvel at 120 spectacular artworks and original artifacts from ancient Angkor never before seen in Canada. See how scientists using contemporary technology have expanded our knowledge of this historic site. Take the family to enjoy the Longy FBI Nations Cup at Thunderbird Show Park. Everyone can enjoy world-class show jumping, restaurants, bars and boutique shops, face painting and pony rides at each of the main spectator events. Global BC Community Hub. Promote your event. Build your community. Global BC Community Hub. Bringing your worlds together. Barry is back. I am not going to yawn over a gold. What's that? Not. You're not going to yawn? Not. It, it never gets old, really. No. But we have won a lot of them. <laughs> yes. And when Canada wins, it's we. It's us. If not, it's they. No, I'm just kidding. We're all in this together. Thanks, Julie. Uh, the World Championships is a really good chance for players whose teams didn't make the playoffs or got eliminated early to still try and get some satisfaction from their hockey season. And for Team Canada today, they got some satisfaction all right in Finland. Canada brought home another gold after beating Germany 5-2 today. The Germans make it to the championship game for the first time ever Canucks defenseman Tyler Myers solid tournament on the blue line. Ethan Bear also on the roster, but he was injured in the quarters versus Finland and hasn't played since. First period, Germans up a goal, but Canada ties it. Peyton Krebs to Sammy Blaze turned into quite the goal scorer in the medal round. Scored in the quarters, the semis, and now the gold medal game. Germans went up again, but again, Canada ties it. It's Krebs to Lawson Kraus 
redirects the shot pass. It's 2-2. Canada's been very strong in third periods in this tournament, and right on cue, Cody Glass will steal it. He is stopped on the wraparound, but there's that sniper, Sammy Blay, to scoop it up and put it in. Second of the game, fourth in the uh, playoff round for Blay in three games. 3-2 Canada, and they get some insurance from Captain Tyler Toffoli. Three-on-one break. He's going to shoot. He's got a good wrist or rips at five-hole, and that pretty much sealed the deal for Canada. They had an empty netter and win it 5-2, and... Canada world champs yet again, second time in four years and for the record 28th time in our history, one more than the Russians. It is our game after all. Now in the bronze medal game, Latvia looking to make history. They've never finished higher than seventh at a world's. Arthur Silovs of the Abbotsford Canucks has been brilliant. USA led 3-2 with just over five minutes to play, but Latvia will tie it. Christians Rubens walks in and scores. And the Latvian fans are just awesome. They uh, love to party in the stands, and they made a lot of noise, and they were enjoying that. So we go to OT, and Latvia will do it again. And it's Rubens one more time with the bronze medal goal. Latvia wins its first ever medal at the World Hockey Championships, 4-3 in overtime. Silovs, by the way, was named tournament MVP and top goalie, so what a breakthrough for him. The party in Latvia will be going on for months. Memorial Cup from Kamloops hosts Blazers taking on the Peterborough Peets. Blazers looked rusty in an 8-3 loss in their opener to Quebec. They hadn't played in about three weeks. Much better start today. Ryan Michael with the screenshot to give Kamloops the lead. Ryan Hofer then a great feed to Fraser Minton. That's a power play goal. 2-0 Kamloops. They led 3-0 after one and they really pile it on in the second on the power play. Pretty set up for Matthew Semenoff for the tip-in. It's 4-0 Blazers. Now 5-0 and Captain Logan Stankoven. What a day he had. He had this goal and four assists. He's got eight points in the first two games and the Blazers thump the Peets 10-2 so they are now 1-1 one one in the tournament. Check out some tennis now. French Open began today in Paris. Second Grand Slam of the tennis season. Montreal's Leila Fernandez taking on 21 seed Magda Lynette of Poland. Fernandez down 3-1 early, but she's such a fighter. And she fought back. Big forehand winner. Help her take the set 6-3. Drop the second set 6-1, but refocused again for the third. Played some very solid tennis. Crafts this point nicely. And then will put it away at net. Fernandez up 4-3 on serve. And then Layla puts the pressure on Lynette, who did make the Australian Open semis earlier this year. Layla loads up the forehand, rips the winner, and she is pumped, and she gets the break of serve and goes up five games to three. And then she will close it out, serving for the match. Perfectly placed backhander for another winner. And Layla Fernandez off to the second round. Vancouver's Rebecca Marino plays her first round match tomorrow, as does Dennis Shapovalov and Felix Oje Aliasim. Bianca Andrescu doesn't play until Tuesday. The Lions wrap up training camp Tuesday in Kamloops and will play their final preseason game Thursday at BC Poise against Calgary. That's when all of the Lions starters will see some action. Really none of them played yesterday in Regina. Now including a receiving core that hopes to duplicate last season's success despite a couple of key players missing from the team this year. Steps up. Looks towards the end zone. Back there. They got it. 
Touchdown, BC, Keon Hatcher. The Lions led the league in yards gained passing in 2022, over 5,400, or about 300 yards per game. Impressive to say the least, but this year they will be without two very important parts of that passing game. Quarterback Nathan Rourke, who's now in the NFL, and veteran receiver Brian Burnham, who retired. But that still leaves three 1,000-yard receivers from a year ago and a confidence that they will catch fire yet again in 2023. 90 yards for Lucky Whitehead! It's very versatile as far as the ability that we have in that, in that receiving room uh, with speed, size, the hands, uh, the knowledge. It's, it's amazing to be around. They will miss Burnham's leadership and Rourke's amazing talent, but this is a receiving core that shares a special bond on and off the field. They all want the ball, but want team success over anything else. We have a brothership where, you know, you have a little brother or a big brother. They they mess with you while you're at home, but then you go to somebody else's house to, like, they, they have your back. So it's just like that, man. Like, we, we have fun, but then at the end of the day, we support each other because we know we all can make them big plays. It makes my job easy because I can say something, but if you hear from your teammate that you're going to the tour with every day, you'll take it a little bit different, and they do, you know, so it, they hold each other accountable, and it shows on the field. Oh, and they also have a lot of fun. Celebrating good times is what it's all about. We all have a celebration each that uh, we practice, you know, day in, day out, and uh, we're, we just have fun, you know what I mean? We have fun competing, and we have fun winning. How many celebrations? they get will be dependent on Vernon Adams Jr., who is not the dynamic passer that Nathan Rourke was. Adams had six touchdown passes in seven games for the Lions, but with a full training camp and off-season workouts with this core, there is full confidence Adams can do the job. He's already an amazing quarterback. He's just, you know, getting more into the system, and he's going to be him. Like, you know, as like a receiver call, we, we said this year is going to be his best year that you've ever seen because, you know, that's how much pride we got and, you know, how much we have his back because, you know, we know he's going to take it to another level because we've seen that in him. Final Sunday of the EPL season. Manchester City, of course, clinched the championship a couple weeks ago, but pressure on Everton needing a win to avoid relegation. They hosted Burnmouth, and Abdoulay Decore will smash it in from 20 yards in the second half. A brilliant strike, and it's a huge sigh of relief for Everton, who avoid relegation. They remain in the Premier League. Southampton, Leeds, and Leicester City are relegated. Leicester won the Premier League just back in 2016. Jays and Twins from Minnesota. Jays looking to win a series for the first time in a couple of weeks. Top of the second, two on for Alejandro Kirk. Pops one to shallow left center, and that is going to drop. Jays haven't had a lot of luck lately. They'll take that. Two-run score on the bloop single, and the Jays take a 2-0 lead. They got great pitching from Jose Barrios and some solid defense. Dalton Varsho, if you remember yesterday, actually knocked the ball over the fence with his glove for a home run, but today... Made the leaping catch at the wall. Had a good laugh about that. And then Jordan Romano comes on in the ninth and gets the strikeout for his 12th save. And the Jays win it 3-0. Toronto is 28-26 at the one-third mark of the season. Final round of the Charles Schwab Challenge from Colonial Country Club in Fort Worth, Texas. World number one, Scotty Scheffler making his move. T-ball on the par 3-8, 189 yards. Seven iron, really, from 189. This is how you get in contention. Scheffler! Hole in one. 
But he finished at seven under one shot short of the two-man playoff between Argentina's Emiliano Grillo and American Adam Shank. This is Grillo's tee shot on the second playoff hole. Got a friendly kick, and that one will settle just a few feet from the cup. So he's got that chance for the victory, and he will step up. And this one actually breaks pretty good to the right, but he read it perfectly, and Grillo wins the Charles Schwab Challenge, his second career PGA Tour victory. Some racing now, the Monaco Grand Prix, the playground for the very rich and famous Monaco. Rain really wreaked havoc on the race. Big downpour mid-race, Canadian Lance Stroll hits the wall hard. He did not finish, actually finished dead last 20th. The weather did dry out, but it really didn't matter. The conditions, Max Verstappen dominated whether it was wet or not, and he wins by nearly 30 seconds, never trailed. It's his fourth win this year. Fernando Alonso was second, and the Indy 500. From the old brickyard in Indianapolis, some uh, serious crashes in this one. None more so than this one. Kyle Kirkwood loses a tire and then slams into the wall. And then he's upside down, grinding to a halt. A spectacular crash. This is what he saw it as from the in-car camera. That would get your attention, but we are happy to say Kirkwood was okay. His car was not. Exciting finish to the race on the final lap. American Joseph Newgarden slings past Marcus Erickson of Sweden, and Newgarden would take it home from there. His first ever Indy 500 win. It's the 19th career win for team owner Roger Penske, and of course it's the traditional milk for the champion. I got the feeling they might have something a bit stronger when they're celebrating tonight. Of course. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Barry. Well, why some New West residents may have done a double take as they watched a house on the move down the street. Global News Hour continues after the break. Global BC Curious Minds, the news segment that highlights local innovations in science, nature, tech, and research that help make life in our province even better. Global BC Curious Minds on Global BC and BC One. It's not something you usually see making its way down the street. A new Westminster heritage home on the move through the neighborhood overnight. As pre-1930s home was initially designed or destined rather for demolition, but it is now being relocated to a new spot only a few blocks away. It is meant to be a green move. Nickel Brothers, the company transporting it, says reusing the home will save more than 60 trees from being cut and about 84,000 kilograms in embodied carbon. That old growth, that first uh, growth fir timber, is five, st five times stronger than conventional lumber that's sold in the lumber stores today. Uh, and the woodwork inside, the built-in cabinets, the wainscoting, these old buildings, they have uh, just a beautiful, beautiful history. So what we love doing is bringing densification through heritage restoration. And this is a great example of that happening, not only on its new home, but on this current lot, the uh, developer was able to get extra densification through saving this house. So it's a really exciting project. It's taken about eight months with a traffic management plan and a whole lot of coordination with utility companies to get to this moment. Can you imagine that and undertaking? It's a lot of work. You got to make sure you get all your clothes out of the closet yeah. to make it a little lighter for and you. And then you also had a tip. Yes, right. And flush the toilet. <laughs> yeah. I know there's what, nothing. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for being with us. Have a good night. Flush it. <laughs>